Hello, greetings, thanks for joining us today. My name is Ethan Longhenry, I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. Paul writes to the Colossian Christians in the letter of the Colossians, beginning in chapter 1 and verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of hidden uh, wisdom and knowledge. Excuse me. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, Paul and Timothy have been writing to the Christians of Colossae, beginning Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Colossae is a city of the Roman province of Asia. Uh, Paul has not visited the Christians there, as we saw in chapter 2 and verse 1. Uh, but Epaphras has worked there. We saw that in Colossians 1. And verse 7. And the Christians there, we can see throughout these texts, have a handle on the gospel and have, are striving for faithfulness. Paul's in prison, according to Colossians 4 and verse 3. And so Colossians is one of the prison letters that is written either from uh, Caesarea or Rome between around 59 and 62. Um, Paul is the author. Maybe Timothy uh, kind of phrased it. We don't quite know. Uh, it is demonstrably a great work of Asiatic rhetoric. Uh, using the types of ways of appeal and persuasion and discussion that were prevalent in the area of Asia at this time. Previously in Colossians, Paul has thanked God for the, uh, for the Colossian Christians and their trust in the gospel that's been uh, spread around the world. He prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding, so they could walk worthily of the Lord. And that God made Christians sufficient to partake in this inheritance in Jesus, uh, because he transferred them out of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. Paul glorified Jesus as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, to whom and through whom all things were made, that all things consist in him, that he is given preeminence in all things as the head of the body, which is the church, that all the fullness dwells in Jesus, and all things in heaven and on earth are reconciled to God through Jesus. And the Colossian Christians have been alienated from God, but God reconciled them to him, in Jesus, and they will continue in that standing as long as they remain grounded and steadfast in the gospel and its hope. So Paul has really done a great job of commending the Colossians, praying for their growth and strength, glorifying who uh, Jesus is and what Jesus represents, the great sovereign of creation, the fullness of all things. And so now Paul will go on to explain his place in the story and why he's writing to the Colossians 
in Colossians 1, 24 through 2, 7 that we've read. So Paul rejoices in verse 24 in the sufferings he's experiencing for the sake of the Colossian Christians, to fill up what is lacking in the affliction of Christ for his body's sake, which is the church. Paul is made a minister of the church according to the dispensation of God to fulfill the word of God. Now, Paul has clearly come to a theological understanding of his afflictions and imprisonment as somehow filling up what is lacking in Jesus' affliction for the church. Does this mean that Jesus' afflictions were somehow insufficient for their purpose? No, absolutely not. Jesus suffered once for all to accomplish salvation. And that's as tested in Romans 5 and Hebrews 7 through 9. It seems that Paul kind of sees that the church will have to participate in the sufferings of Christ. And, and his sufferings are accounted to that end. That he's suffering, perhaps that uh, others are, are spared from the kind of suffering because he's filling up what is lacking, even if they are not. Minister here is diakonos, and dispensation is the Greek oikumenon, or oikonomion. Uh, and that means economy. And it's God's arrangement in his household. It's not dispensational millennium. It's not talking about a certain frame of time in that sense. And so he's a, a, a servant, a minister of this gospel. Um, and he has his place in God's economy and the way his house is ordered to, to, to promote this message. The fulfillment of the word uh, of God here is the filling up. And therefore means his proclamation. That's why... Uh, it's proclaimed here in the English Standard uh, Version, fully known. Paul continues in verses 26 and 27 uh, to talk about the nature of the Word of God that he's proclaiming, making fully known. That it's a mystery hidden for generations and ages. That is now manifested to the saints... That God has been pleased to make known as rich of his glory. That the Gentiles can have Christ in them. That he is the hope of glory. Now a mystery is something veiled. It's something that people cannot figure out through their own reasoning or imagination, but revealed by God. In that sense, it's almost the opposite of how a mystery gets defined today. Where a mystery today is a whodunit. Where you have something happen and people have to piece together various clues through their cleverness and cunning and detective work. Uh, this is the opposite kind of mystery. You wouldn't be able to make any sort of sense of it if it weren't for the fact that God demonstrated in Jesus and made it known in the revelation of him. Ages and generations are the Ionon and Ganeon, and these are references to time and people, so over time and among people over time. Christ in you is not an ontological statement. Uh, Paul is envisioning the presence of God the believer in terms of the Spirit, not Jesus. Uh, but emphasize the relationship of believers with Jesus. Uh, going back to John 17, that believers would be one with Jesus as Jesus is one with the Father. Uh, that, And therefore, again, reinforcing this message, he's trying to reinforce throughout this part of this letter, that Christ in you is that mystery, is the hope of glory. You don't need to add anything. There's no enhancement that is necessary or even would be sufficient or valuable. So Paul and Timothy proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone in wisdom present everyone as perfect in Christ. And this is the work that Paul's engaged in, in, in verse 20 and 29, striving according to his energy with which God energizes in him. Now perfect is uh, teleon, complete mature. English Standard has mature for this. 
and there's some wordplay going on here. It, that energy is the energeion that he works within me is er, energumenate. It's the power by which God empowers Paul. And so that's really Paul setting forth the work of ministry. He admonishes and teaches everyone the gospel that all might become mature complete in Christ, that he labors and he is empowered with God's strength to accomplish his purposes. He continues. We have a chapter division here, uh, but in the original there was no chapter divisions, and the same thread continues. Paul is talking about his striving, agony, really, for the Christians of Colossae and Laodicea, that they will be strengthened to know Jesus and not be deceived. He wants this for them, all in fact, that do not know him in the flesh, that their hearts would be comforted, that they would be knit together in love, to all riches a full assurance of understanding, to know the mystery of God in Jesus, for in Jesus all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. First three verses of chapter 2. Now, Laodiceans are mentioned here and also in Colossians 4, 13, 15, and 16. The letter to the Colossians was to be read to the church of Laodicea, and the, church, the letter sent to Laodiceans is to be read, and read to the church in Colossae. Uh, Laodicea is another city, the Lycus Valley of Asia. It's not very far away. Epaphras is also active in ministry there. Uh, John would write to the church in Laodicea later in Revelation, but Paul's letter, as far as we can tell, has been lost. There was some speculation that that Ephesians was actually the original letter of the Odysseans. There's no concrete evidence for that. Um, that particular piece of correspondence has not been preserved. The strive is agona, and we see agony in there. It's a contest or a struggle. And he's hammering home the fullness of everything here in Christ. What does he want? Why is he agonizing? Well, he wants their hearts to be encouraged, to be knit together in love, to reach the riches of assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, that in Christ are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are the storehouses and founts of wisdom and knowledge. Any other source would be a distraction or insufficient in comparison. That wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Some of it might be beyond our understanding, but we can trust that they are there, even if we do not understand it. And then Paul explains himself a bit. He says these things in verses 4 and 5, that no one would delude them with plausible arguments. Paul's not present with them physically, but he's there spiritually, and he rejoices to see their good order and the steadfastness or the firmness of their faith in Jesus. Now he's making some of his concerns clear. There might be some people who might try to deceive or delude the Colossian Christians with seductive reasoning, persuasive rhetoric. But Colossae is not Galatia. Paul's concerns here are anticipatory. He recognizes presently their good order, their arrangement of discipline, toxies, and the steadfastness of their faith. And then we have verses 6 and 7. Technically, 6 and 7 begin the next part. On the other hand, 6 and 7 are the conclusion based on what came before. So 6 and 7 really are the hinge that keeps everything together. In fact, maybe even the thesis of the entire letter. That the Colossian Christians should walk in Jesus the Christ as they have received him, rooted and edified in him, established in the faith as they were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, contextually and rhetorically, everything else from verses 8 through 23 are going to follow from this. But as you can tell, it's kind of the conclusion of everything that Paul's been working up to, especially from the beginning of the letter until now. Paul is summarizing here, is making explicit the point that he's already established. The ground of the truth and of reality is in Jesus. Therefore be rooted and established in him. 
Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's active in creation and for whom all creation was made. In Jesus, God is reconciling the world and the cosmos to himself. Jesus is the, the fount, the, 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 the thesaurus, the, the treasury of all uh, wisdom and knowledge. And so it is right and appropriate to be rooted and grounded in Jesus. It is right to be thankful that for all that God has done for believers in Jesus because they could not do it on their own. The Colossians received this message in sheer grace. Uh, they were not present when all these things took place. They are the beneficiaries of things done uh, a few years earlier in a very different place. And but now they get to take advantage of it. And so in this section, Paul has laid the groundwork for his exhortation to the Colossians. God has worked to reconcile everyone in Christ. Paul is suffering to advance the cause of Christ. Paul works to encourage everyone to be grounded in Christ and to resist the siren songs of the world. So what are we supposed to take away from Colossians 1? 24 through Colossians 2 and verse 7. Primarily that idea of being rooted and established in Christ is the major theme that carries from verses 3 through 23. And it'll be manifest in its application as we continue, Lord willing, another time, looking into the rest of chapter 2. The need to be rooted and established in Christ. That in Christ is the fullness of everything. The goal of all Paul's instruction and work is for Christians to be comforted in their heart, to be knit in love, to obtain the full assurance which comes in understanding Jesus. And it's hard to overstate that importance of that tenet of Colossians. There's no reason to look elsewhere for truth or love or light than in Jesus, because in Jesus we have the image of God, the cause of creation, the fullness of all, the treasury of knowledge and wisdom. And this is important for the Colossian Christians to hear and remember because they would hear people try to persuade them that they needed some enhancement, some wisdom or knowledge that came from another source. And it proves just as important today when people are constantly trying to tell us that we should find enhancement, wisdom, or knowledge from other sources. We've lived in an age where Eastern religion and mysticism is very popular. But what can it add to Jesus? Many will claim that Allah waited for Muhammad to provide final revelation. But does Muhammad maintain the repository of all wisdom and knowledge as Jesus does? We hear about science and technology and the cultural imperialism of the day. But can they really deliver on the promises that they make? And what wisdom are they really showing us? As many might rightly see that things seem to be falling apart all of a sudden. And that's why we need to put our full trust in Jesus as the embodiment of God to root and establish ourselves in Him. That's the stable ground. That's the ground that will hold despite all trials and tempests of life. That's where we find the image of God. In Colossians 1.24, Paul speaks of his experience as suffering for the sake of the Colossian Christians, to, to fill what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now this whole thing may seem very odd to Christians today. A lot of people today. Why should Christians suffer? Why would Paul act like there was something missing in Christ's suffering? Why do we need to suffer anyway? As we've noted, Paul has already spoken, Romans 5 and other places, that Jesus' death on the cross were sufficient, was sufficient for atonement. That to, to think otherwise would cause a great contradiction. And so Paul's not envisioning a need for Jesus to, to suffer more for the sake of suffering for our sins. No, he's envisioning a need for the church as Christ's body to suffer like Christ did in the body. He has come to perceive the sufferings he endures as vicarious suffering. 
Now, for too long, Christianity has heeded the, the, the song of the world from Stoicism and Epicureanism, an attempt to escape pain and suffering or just to suffer through it. When the example of Christ demands suffering for, for ultimate healing, for the victory of God to be accomplished, that you cannot bypass Calvary on the way to Zion, that the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And we try to get people to believe that Christianity is something other than this, that somehow Christianity means you can somehow escape the pain and suffering of the world. We do a disservice to the gospel and to people because that's not the message of the gospel. Nowhere will you find that idea in the gospel. And when people start enduring difficulties, if their faith is predicated in the idea that becoming a Christian means they will not go through such things, it can create a major crisis of faith. No, 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 no. Throughout, we see that when you are transformed in Jesus' death and resurrection, it means that you're going to have to take up your cross and follow after him. That involves suffering. And the time will come when we will be called upon to suffer for the faith. That all who will follow after Jesus will endure trial and suffering. And that is how our faith will be tried and made pure. It's very interesting, though, when we look at this letter to the Colossians, because Paul's writing, one of the rare times that he's writing to Christians with whom he does not have a significant relationship. He doesn't deny his authoritativeness. He began the whole letter writing as an apostle of Christ, after all. But he appeals to them here as a servant, a diakonos, a minister of Jesus in Colossians 1.26. And then he will go and explain how he looks at that ministry. He's going around preaching Jesus as the Christ everywhere. He's teaching in wisdom. He seeks to comfort Christians that they may be united in love to obtain the riches of full assurance of understanding to know the mystery of God in Christ, and that all receive empowerment from God. We're familiar with the idea that we need to go tell people about Jesus, or the proclamation of the gospel. But do we take seriously this goal of comfort and unity in the assurance of the truth? That Paul was after Christians being united, coming together with full assurance. Fear-mongering leads to apprehension and insecurity. This is not the way we should have learned Christ. It wasn't the way Christ taught. Christ did not engage in fear-mongering. Christians are not to live in constant fear and anxiety. They are to have the assurance of comfort and love, to be grounded and rooted, to find stability and security in God and Christ. That's why in Ephesians 4, 11-16, when the great story of the church, that all these roles exist, that the body may build itself up, that it may not be tossed to and fro. It's not supposed to be constantly in apprehension, anxiety. Ministry looks like what Paul says here in Colossians. It appeals to the fact that the fullness of God is in Christ. It declares in wisdom how in Christ we have the ground of all wisdom and knowledge. Comforting believers to, so they may be unified in love to stand for that truth. And fear-mongering is going to corrode many of those principles. Ministry is also going to fail, though, if it's dependent upon our own feeble efforts alone. And that's why that last part is very important, that we submit to God in Christ in faith and ask for and then depend upon the strength of God to participate and to persevere in it. That it's only going to be effective when it is empowered by God and not just driven by our sheer willpower. And in Colossians 2.3, in Jesus can be found all treasures, the thesauroi of wisdom and knowledge. Where we get a word thesaurus. With the thesaurus, it's a treasure of words to understand different ways words are used. You can get antonyms, you can get synonyms. For that matter, 
Paul has throughout emphasized that he proclaims that the mystery of God in Christ is that Gentiles will be brought in, something that was not discovered by human ingenuity, but made known by God in his working, in Ephesians 3, Colossians 1. And in this remains a profound point that we highlighted a little bit earlier, but needs emphasizing. And a lot of people don't like it, and want to avoid it. God's truth is by revelation, not excavation. In revelation, God makes it known. In excavation, man, through his wisdom, intellect, or endeavor, seeks to dig deeply to learn and figure things out. Now, do we need to excavate what God has revealed? Yes. We need to be constantly refreshed and strengthened and challenged by what we discover what God has made known. But we always recognize that when we're digging into it, if it's true, it's not because of our great endeavor. It's true because God has made it known and we have ascertained it. It's true because it's part of that mystery that God has made known in Jesus, the treasury of wars, you know, that we've, we've been able to dig more deeply into that uh, fount of knowledge. But secret codes, elaborate reconstructions, and the very desire to try to find out and learn things which no one else knows to gain control or prestige on account of it is an appeal toward Gnosticism. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to counteract when writing the Colossians. And this is the same appeal to this day. To find the new thing, to be able to figure everything out, to gain that influence or power, that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is about, of what God is doing in Jesus, and exactly the kind of things that the opponents of the Colossians were trying to get the Colossians to buy into. Look, hey, conspiracy theories are fun. People love them. People flatter themselves with the desire to make a name on the basis of finding things. But the gospel's been around for 2,000 years. It remains the same. But its depths will never be fully plumbed. And as we plumb those depths, we are just more and more to be overawed by the great love and grace that God has shown us in Jesus. To be humbled before him. And to more powerfully and thoroughly praise him for all that he has done. And that is why we ought to rely on what God has made known in Jesus and not human ingenuity. And so we've looked at what we can see in Colossians 1.24 through 2.7, that Paul is trying to build up the Colossians in Jesus, that he suffers for them, he serves God in proclaiming the gospel, he strives to comfort their hearts, to unite them in love, to have assurance of faith in the knowledge of the mystery of God in Christ. They should not listen to the persuasive appeals of men, but to be fully rooted, established in Jesus, who is a storehouse of knowledge and wisdom. And therefore we do well to trust in Christ, to ground ourselves in the gospel, to obtain the hope of the resurrection of life. Again, we're so glad that you've joined us today. If, if you'd like to talk more about the things we've discussed here, if you'd like to have a Bible study or take a Bible correspondence course, if you have a prayer request, if we can encourage you in some way, if you'd like to check us out, you can find us by going uh, online at VeneceChurchOfChrist.org or also on social media. Uh, if I can be of service, please uh, reach out to me on my website, DeVerboVitae.com. That's www.D-E-V-E-R-B-O-V-I-T-A-E.com. And we'd love if you would share this message if you've enjoyed it with your friends, family, and others on social media. We can thank you. Have a great day.